All right, if you have a Bible with you, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1? And if you are using one of our red uh, Story Church Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1 is on page 588. 588. We began a new series last week for our summer where we're looking at the letter that Peter wrote, his, the first letter that Peter wrote, to the group of Christians in Asia Minor to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. And last week, we began the letter looking at Peter's greeting. And we saw that uh, right from the get-go, Peter wanted to remind his readers and remind us today uh, of this great salvation that we have. And that salvation, Peter showed us, was Trinitarian, um, this new life that we have. It was, it was, it's ours because the Father has called us and chosen us to himself. It's ours because the Spirit has sanctified us and set us apart from the world for his glory. And that salvation is ours through Jesus and his blood, which has been sprinkled over us and now seals us for eternity. As Peter moves from his greeting to his introduction, he continues this knowledge or this uh, idea of the new birth, this new life that we have through Jesus. And we're going to see in this passage that he, he says that with this new birth, with this new life, we have something else that comes with it. We have hope. We have a living hope. So we're going to look at what, what is this living hope that Peter says is ours because of our new life in Christ. Specifically, we're going to ask four questions about this hope. So if you want to follow along in our bulletin, you'll see the questions printed there. We're going to ask, why do we need this hope? We're going to ask, what is in this hope? What is the substance of this hope? Where do we find this hope? And then how do we use it? How do we put it to work for us? So uh, why do we need it? What is it? Where do we find it? How do we use it? Let's read 1 Peter, looking at verses 3 through 12, and we'll pray and, and look at those questions. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ 
and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you um, for this hope that we have in our new life in Christ. We pray now, Spirit, would you illumine your text to us? Would you uh, impress it upon our hearts that we might be changed for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first, why do we need it? Why do we need this hope? What does Peter say? Peter draws our attention to what is happening in the lives of his readers in verse 6 when he says, In this you rejoice, although now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. His readers, uh, we mentioned last week, uh, they're facing increased hostility and persecution. His readers are suffering. They're facing various trials. This is because their faith in, in the midst of a pagan and pluralistic society it rubs up against it. And we said we have felt to some degree or another that same kind of rub. But as readers are facing persecution, they are suffering. And Peter says, because you are suffering, it is such good news that we have this hope. Now, Jesus promises us as Christians that we will suffer for him. He, he says that in this world, you will face tribulation, but to take heart, Jesus has overcome this world. It's promised to us as disciples of Jesus that we will face suffering for the sake of our faith. We shouldn't, um, you know, we shouldn't necessarily accept that or embrace it, but we should recognize that even in the midst of suffering, God still does something amazing. Even in the second century, as the, the height of persecution against the Christians was rising, Tertullian, one of the church fathers, wrote that it was the blood of the martyrs, the blood of the disciples who have been killed for their faith, that is the seed of the church, that the church expands even in the midst of suffering and persecution. But today, we don't all feel the same level of persecution, and that's, that's okay. Peter has something to say even for us, because his principles about suffering and hope in the midst of suffering extend beyond persecution. John Piper says the difference between, uh, he says that there's no real difference between suffering for the sake of our faith and suffering in the midst of everyday hardships, because he says in both of them, the same two things are happening. In, in both of those, one, Satan is using them to get us to doubt the goodness of God. And at the same time, God uses both of those as an opportunity to grow and strengthen our faith in him. And so Peter's words of encouragement for us that we have hope in the midst of suffering is good news whether we face persecution for our faith or whether we just face the ongoing everyday hardships of life. We need this kind of hope in the midst of suffering. Because our default posture towards suffering, our default reaction 
towards suffering, well, they usually don't work. Typically, we respond to suffering in two ways, one of two ways. We either try to ignore suffering and suppress it, or we try to fight it, sort of take it on headlong. We ignore it or suppress it um, to try to ignore the feeling of pain and suffering. Sometimes we turn to alcohol and actually physically try to numb ourselves to pain. But, but most, most addictive patterns and routines are an attempt to ignore pain. Consider the marriage that is in a rough spot. And one of the spouses, in order to ignore and suppress the pain of that marriage, throws themselves into their work. They wake up and go to the office early. They stay late afterward. They check their email long into the night. They find themselves working and choosing to work on the weekends. Why? They're trying to distance themselves from actually having to deal with the pain and suffering in their marriage. So we try to ignore or suppress it. The other way is we fight it. We, we, we pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and say, this suffering, this pain, this obstacle will not be the end of me. We look inward and say, I have the power and the strength to overcome. The problem with both of these approaches is that we end up actually in a far worse off place than where we began. The person who ignores their pain says, God will not help me. I have to do this myself. And you wind up in these addictive patterns in more pain and suffering than where you began. The person who says, I have to do it myself, says, God, God isn't even there. I'm God. I'm the powerful one. I'm going to overcome it. And if you do, well, then you just bolster your pride and arrogance. But if you fail, well, then the pain has won. So we need something else. When we go through hardship and suffering, we can't ignore it. We can't fight it. We need something else. Peter says the only way to overcome the sufferings you face is to hold on to the hope that we have in Christ. That's why we need this. It's because we all suffer. We're all suffering to some degree, whether it's loneliness financial, relational, physical, spiritual. We're all suffering. Peter says, that's why we need this hope. That's why we need this hope. So what is this hope? What is the hope that Peter says is ours through Christ? Well, he says this hope uh, in verse 4, it is an inheritance and this inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven waiting for us. When the New Testament speaks about an inheritance, it's often a reference to the story of Abraham. 
And in the story of Abraham, God promises to Abraham and to his sons and his descendants an inheritance. And that inheritance was the promised land, the place where God would bring them, and in that place they would flourish and thrive. That was the inheritance promised to Abraham. And, and so much of the early parts of our Bible is, is the fulfillment of that inheritance, the people of God longing for and then finally receiving this inheritance. But even as the Old Testament progresses, the prophets began to see, even though we have this land, it still seems as though we're waiting for something more. And in the New Testament, the authors pick up this promise of an inheritance and say, yeah, there is something greater on the horizon. There is a greater land. It's not a physical land. It is a spiritual land, a spiritual kingdom that is yours if you have faith like your father Abraham. It is promised to you an eternal heavenly kingdom. That's the inheritance that Peter says is ours. This is the hope that we have, this promised inheritance. He says this inheritance is imperishable. It will not decay or fall apart like all the things of this world will one day experience. This is something better than anything this world offers. This inheritance is not just imperishable. It is undefiled. It is pure and holy, and just. There is no wickedness in this eternal kingdom. There's no pain or sorrow in this eternal kingdom. There's no evil. It is good and righteous and holy. Peter says it's unfading. It will not go away. You will experience this eternal kingdom forever. Finally, he says, it's kept for us in heaven. That doesn't mean that the inheritance is heaven. I know that might sound surprising. That phrase, kept in heaven for you, it's like, it's like if I were inviting guys over to watch the game and I'd say to them, hey, I keep my beers out in the fridge in the garage. I don't mean that you have to go into the fridge and stay there to enjoy the benefit of the beer. No, it's just kept there for you to enjoy, to, to receive from it. Peter is saying this, this inheritance is ours. It's kept in heaven. It's kept in the presence of God right now. But it, it's promised you. It's going to be revealed to you. It's the experience of being with God that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is yours. That is our hope. This is why it's such good news for us who suffer we need this kind of hope. We need to hold on to this kind of hope because that allows us to overcome what we're facing. I think the best example of this is uh, in, the, in the history of America uh, during the time of the slave trade. The enslaved Africans would write and sing these spiritual songs and hymns to the Lord. And in those songs, they would express their longing for freedom, their longing for liberation, not just their physical freedom, but their longing for an eternal kingdom, their longing for righteousness and justice to roll forth like a river 
to come and sweep them out of their suffering. And they would sing these songs that would get into their heads and down into their hearts. This was an expression of them longing for and holding out hope for their eternal kingdom. On a more personal note, I'm, I'm reading through uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with our son Theo. And, um, you know, as a five, almost five-year-old, there's some scary parts of that story. I mean, when the white witch is introduced, she's menacing. And there have been times where I've said, hey, Theo, are you ready to read before bed or whatever? And he says, hey, can we, can we not read tonight? I'm like, okay, that's fine. And I'll find out, well, he's, he's a little scared, and rightfully so. He doesn't want to hear what might happen that's bad. You know, he's worried about the kids in the story. And I just sit down with him the other day and say, are you, are you scared about the story? Yeah. You know, is this character scary? Yeah. And I say, can I, can I show you something? And I flipped open the last page, and I showed him where the kids, they become kings and queens. At the end of the story, the kids are all right. The white witch is defeated. And now they're kings and queens. I tried to show him how the end of the story is so happy. It's so glorious that whatever is scary now is gone. You don't have to fear even though right now it seems scary because the end of the story is written. We know how it ends. And we know that because that's how it ends, we can get through the tough parts now. Friends, Peter is saying that we have this inheritance that is ours. It's already ours. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It won't go away. It's in heaven waiting for you. It's this far-off country of peace and, and flourishing and justice and holiness. And you can get through the suffering now because at the end it will be glorious. I love how the Apostle Paul uh, writes about this. Um, he, he says he, he can't even compare the present sufferings of this world because uh, at the end of times, it'll be far more glorious than anything he's experiencing now. And that helps him get through the pain and suffering. I love how the, the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, captures this so well. Uh, it says, pardon for sin and a peace that enduring thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. We have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Friends, because of this promise inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, we have strength for today to get through the pain and a bright hope for tomorrow because that kingdom that seems so far off now will one day be yours. That is the hope. Now, where do we find it? Like, how do we get it and, and grab hold of it? Where do we find it? Peter tells us that we find this hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Right there in verse 3, he says that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. 
I think it's so important that we don't miss this foundational truth that Peter is telling us. Our hope, our our hope in this sense is not rooted in the death of Christ. It is rooted in the resurrection of Christ. In, In other words, Peter is saying our hope is not in a Savior who died and has stayed dead. Our hope is found in a Savior who died and has been brought back to life. I'm gonna, I need to unpack this for a minute, why this is so important. The Christian gospel, the story that we believe, the story that, that gave name to this church, the, the foundation of our hope, this story says that in the beginning of all time, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And in that creation, he formed mankind, Adam and Eve, our first parents. And he formed them in this perfect relationship with himself and with one another. And in God's original design, there was great flourishing and and peace in this relationship. This was a world without strife, a world without fighting, a world without war, a world without guns, a world without violence, without suffering and pain. This was a life of abundant joy and peace. But sin broke into this world and brought with it decay and defilement and death. Through sin, mankind turned their backs against God They believed themselves to be better judges of what was good and what was evil. And in doing so, they turned their backs against one another, fighting now against one another for power and dominion. This sin is is what separates mankind from our creator. It gets in between our relationships with one another. This is the ultimate reason for our suffering, is sin. Whether we're suffering at the hands of another person who has sinned against us, or we experience suffering in our bodies because we live in a broken, sinful, corrupted world that is facing the consequence of sin. The story, however, continues because God promises that one day he will deal with sin, the sin between humans, the sin in humans, and the sin in the world. He is going to deal with it. This promise becomes reality when Jesus comes into the world. God himself becoming man, stepping into our world, crossing into enemy territory, taking on flesh and living in this dark world. Why? So that he might rescue us. So that he might come to us and take us out of the clutches of darkness so that he might deal with sin finally, so that he might bring us back into relationship with God. But not only that, he's come into the world to deal with not just sin within us, but the sin of the world that has plagued this creation from the beginning. We often say that Jesus accomplished this mission at the cross, and we rightfully say that, Because it's at the cross that we see the love of God put on full display. It's at the cross that we see our sin put upon Jesus. 
that he bears the punishment and consequence for our sin. And we see also at the cross the the justice of God satisfied that he has against our sin. Jesus Christ perfectly pays it. And we see at the cross the perfect obedience and righteousness of Christ before us that is ours now through faith. Yes and amen, Jesus accomplishes our salvation at the cross. But that's not the end of the story. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we are still in our sins and we are of all people most to be pitied. Why is the resurrection so important? There's two reasons. One, in the resurrection, we see tangibly, visibly, that Christ has been vindicated, our sins have been paid in full, and we go forgiven. In the resurrection of Christ, our sins are forgiven. Every one of them. Even that sin. But second, the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope because in the resurrection, we see in Jesus' new life, the breaking forth of that far-off kingdom into the present. In the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we see the inauguration of that far-off inheritance that is ours coming forth into the presence and becoming a present reality that we can experience. It is in the resurrection that we have our guarantee that one day we will experience that restoration too. That one day the whole world will experience that that restoration. From our perspective, it seems so far off, but it is so real and so certain, that kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace. I love how J.R.R. Tolkien hints at this glorious future kingdom becoming a present reality in his Lord of the Rings trilogy, especially towards the end, after the ring has been destroyed, after the enemy has been defeated, one of the main characters, Sam, wakes up, and standing before him is Gandalf, the the great wizard, And Sam's last time seeing Gandalf was when Gandalf was sacrificing his own self for the sake of Sam and his companions. Sam is surprised to see him and says, Gandalf, I I thought you were dead. In fact, I thought I was dead. Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? That is the hope that we have. Everything sad is going to come untrue. That future kingdom has broken forth into the present through Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And one day, everything sad will come untrue. So how do we use this hope? How do we practically take this hope and tomorrow morning, or Wednesday afternoon, or Friday night, how do we put this into practice? 
Peter says that this, this hope has the, uh, the opportunity to grow us and strengthen our faith. He says, like gold that is strengthened and purified through fire, is refined through fire, so too can your faith be purified and strengthened through suffering. How? How do we put this to work? How do we unlock this potential that Peter speaks of? Jonathan Edwards, and this is the second week in a row I'm, I'm quoting Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, who's a, an early American philosopher, theologian, pastor, he says that it is one thing to believe that honey is sweet, but it is altogether another kind of knowing to actually taste that honey on your tongue and experience the sweetness. He's saying there's one kind of knowledge or belief that is theoretical, and there's another kind of knowledge that you get when you throw yourself at it. I think we can apply Edward's argument here. We can believe and know that we have this hope in Christ, but in order to put it to work, we have to throw ourselves at Christ. We have to get it down into our hearts, into the deepest core of our being, out of which flows our truest sense of reality and identity. How do we do that? How do we get that knowledge down into our hearts? Peter goes on in this passage to show us that the prophets of the Old Testament, they all, directed by the Holy Spirit, wrote about days to come. They all wrote about this Savior who would come and bring hope, but they themselves did not know the time or the details of that. They longed to know the truth of what would happen. But Peter says that we, in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, know what has happened. He says what they have longed to look for in verse 11. They longed to know the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. They long to know the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. There it is. That's the key. How do we turn suffering into glory? How do we turn pain and transform it into praise? We bring our suffering to Jesus, who went before us, who suffered on the cross and has been raised to glory. I, I don't mean to sound cheesy or to give a Sunday school answer, oh yeah, just go to Jesus, but this is serious. Like we could ignore our pain, or we could fight our suffering, or we could follow Peter and say, bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. That is the way we get through suffering to the other side and have our faith grown and strengthened. At home, we're learning to sing with the kids, what a friend we have in Jesus. And I love how the chorus puts this so beautifully. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what a needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Bring your suffering to Jesus. 
Bring your pain, bring your hurts to him. He is your friend who is faithful to you. I love how the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus, our friend, is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. That word sympathize means he has suffered with us. And because he has suffered with us, we can bring everything to him. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland writes this, the beauty of Christ's sympathy with us is that not only can Jesus relieve us of our troubles like a doctor who can prescribe medicine to us, it is also that before any of that relief comes, he is with us in our troubles like a doctor who has endured the same disease. He can sympathize with us in our suffering. He sits with us. He holds us. He is right there with you, and he wants to comfort you because he himself suffered and passed through suffering to glory. How do we know that Jesus suffered? I mean, he experienced human flesh. He grew old. I'm sure he tripped and cut his knee one time. But he experienced hunger and thirst. He experienced rejection from friends. He experienced mocking from enemies. He experienced injustice when he was put on trial. He experienced physical pain when he was flogged. He experienced that spiritual pain when on the cross he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus has been through suffering and has come out on the other side glorious. If we want to use this hope to strengthen our faith, let us bring our sufferings to him. I know in our suffering we feel alone, we feel isolated, we feel like we don't have a guide, we feel like we've been abandoned by those who loved us, rejected by those we thought would step in. We sink down deeper and deeper into isolation when we suffer. But we must remember that through our pain, God in Christ does not separate himself from us. On the contrary, it is in our pain, in our suffering, that we have the opportunity to feel closer to him than ever before. Dane Ortland finishes his chapter like this. He says, that sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, it was endured by him in the past and it is now shouldered by him in the present. If you are in Christ, you have a friend who in your sorrow will never lob down a pep talk from heaven. He cannot bear to hold himself at distance from you. Nothing could ever hold him back from you. His heart is too bound up with yours. How do we use this hope? When we see that Jesus laid down his life and suffered for us, and that his life was risen again into glory, when we see that and bring our suffering to him, he transforms us, he strengthens us, and guides us through suffering into glory as well. Let's pray.